worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Hello and welcome to the Miles to Memories podcast. I'm Sean Coomer, your host, joined by Joe Chung from As the Joe Flies and Disney Deciphered. It's Super Bowl week in Las Vegas, Joe. The Super Bowl just ended. It was a great game. It started so boring. I know people don't love sports talk, but it's Super Bowl week, so we have to talk about the Super Bowl a little bit. Started out boring, but it turned into a great game, one of the better Super Bowls in recent memory. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think one thing that was awesome is once the teams like figured out, and honestly, the defense has played amazing the whole game and like some of the errors were forced errors they weren't necessarily unforced errors it was just a really fun game to watch to see two teams offenses and defenses like operating at such a high level it was just a ton of fun to watch i know that you know a lot of chiefs haters uh, i'm i'm like indifferent you know i don't like i wanted the 49ers to lose but that's because my brain is twisted and I still can't forgive Kyle Shanahan for giving the Patriots their sixth Super Bowl due to his bad play calling. I've finally gotten to the point where I feel bad for him now, so I'm not going to root against him in every single situation. But yeah, I mean, fandom is insane. But, you know, Chiefs haters aside, like, I thought that was a very fun game to watch. The refs didn't get involved, did not get to see the streaker. So, you know, the half streaker, I guess someone ran on with their shirt off, but a lot of fun. It looks like by the way, for you know, one reason why I want to talk about it because I'm curious about the whole experience being in Las Vegas during the Super Bowl. But it seems like high marks for Las Vegas as a host city. No one got into too much trouble, or at least not trouble that we know about. It seems like media was really happy. You know, I was listening to a bunch of podcasts just because it was such a fun game. I just wanted to hear people break it down, and they were like talking about going in and out and stuff like that, and like to um, you know just how they were getting sick in Vegas because it's like being at a conference and stuff like that. So it seems like a lot of fun. I'm curious, what was your experience? And I did not know until I saw on social media that Mark was going to be there hanging out with you too. So I'm sure you're talking about it on MTM Vegas, but I just love to at least hear a little bit what it was like being in Vegas for the Super Bowl, first Super Bowl in Vegas ever. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I think Mark and I are going to do a, a special show on the YouTube channel about his time there in a couple of weeks. So people get more of a in-depth if they want like a, play-by-play on what we did, but being on the Strip, it was, Las Vegas does a great job at big events. They're used to all of this, and I think F1 was sort of a warm-up for this, but it just was amazing because the city embraced the event, and everybody was having a good time. There was tons of private events around town, so I feel like you're not going to have a better city to have that, right? The NFL has 
it's really corporate, right? There's so many corporate sponsorships. So it seemed like everybody was renting out event space all around town for their private parties. And that turned into a big deal. And I think Las Vegas handled that well. And it's a great city for fun. And unfortunately, you know, coming into the week, there was a lot of idiots. And I'll call Boomer Esiason an idiot. You know, they're just making light of the fact that the teams have to stay out of the city and everybody can get in, you know, to trouble. And this is like some, I don't know, just terrible place for den people of, to be. Den of, uh... yeah den of evil or something like that yeah yeah and when you're somebody like boomer esiason laughing about that all you're doing is telling people that you can't control yourself in las vegas there's plenty of people who come here and can control themselves and have a normal time and you know whatever i'm not accusing boomer of being a degenerate but i'm saying that he was an idiot for what he said about that kind of disparaging the city and i think you know the results are the proof is in the pudding Las Vegas delivered. It was fun on every level. There were light shows all over town. There were temporary installations all over town. I went to the Paramount Mountain thing. I'm not sure if I mentioned it on this show or not, but Paramount built like a mini amusement park over the Mirage Fountain. So it was a lot of different like sets that were promoting their shows, but they also had a simulator ride that was there. And they did an amazing job of that. They spent a ton of money just for four days. It was only there for four days. There was tailgates all over town. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. I did spend some time on the North Strip with Mark, and that was a little bit more disconnected from the pure Super Bowl stuff. So that kind of was a little quieter. But every hotel had logos everywhere, advertising everywhere. The just it was embraced by the entire city, and as you said, it went off well. And the NFL says they'll come back. It really is the perfect city for the Super Bowl, and I think they proved it because you can have the game and the event, you can have all of the corporate events. And you can have all of the fan stuff, too. I mean, they even converted the New York, New York, Brooklyn Bridge into the Cheetos Wedding Chapel, Joe. So I don't know about that one, but that's how far it all went down. The other silly thing about Boomer Esiason's comments is I think, like, ever since Eugene Robinson, I think it was, who was kind of arrested for soliciting in, I can't remember where the Super Bowl was, maybe like Miami or something like that. But ever since that, I think teams have realized, like, they locked – or players have realized, really, that, you know, you go to the Super Bowl once and maybe, you know, unless you're – I mean, I get why people hate the Chiefs. People hate winners. I've hated the Patriots my entire life. I get it. So, you know, I'm not <laughs> – no judgment. But realistically, you only get one chance. And so the reality is like everyone is on lockdown mode anyway, because they're so laser focused on the game. So it's like, it's, it, it just, does, it does feel like, and you know, I know there's a lot of trouble you can get into in Las Vegas, but there's a lot of trouble you get to in any city and the players, they're really not good. That's not going to happen these days. These players make too much money. There's too much on the line. And now that like we're at this stage in history where legacy is so important, like I just don't think players are going to do that. Another funny thing I heard was, again, listening to a lot of media because I'm just like a nerd for these things, podcasts and stuff like that. They're like, it doesn't matter whether this is in Vegas or not. We have just been in a convention center for four days. We haven't seen the sun. You know, it doesn't matter whether we're in Miami. You know, I know it was at, I, might, I think it was at MetLife once, New Orleans, wherever. You're just in a convention center. You don't see the sun. It's like, apparently it's not until like Friday night. They get like 12 hours off or something. That's like when they can finally actually go out into the city. But other than that, you know, and I assume the players the same. If the media is locked down like that, the players are locked down like that too. They're just 100% focused all the time. And, you know, even if they want to get in trouble, they probably couldn't. And they've had so many Super Bowls in New Orleans, including next year's Super Bowl. And it's just insane because 
I spent a lot of time in New Orleans, a lot of time in Las Vegas. I would say New Orleans is a crazier city than Las Vegas. I would bet money on that. I am sorry, but maybe Las Vegas has a bigger scale for the craziness. Like it's a bigger area that you can get crazy in than New Orleans. But I have not seen what that. Well, I've seen depravity in both places, but yeah, that was a crazy thing. But Las Vegas handled it. And this is really the transition that Las Vegas has done over the last 10 years to be the premier entertainment and sports destination. And we saw really that all kind of come together this year with the sphere opening up. You have some of the top concert venues in the entire country. Allegiant, I believe, was in the top five stadiums in the entire country for music tours. This is really what the city is about, bringing top tier acts, entertainment, along with the gambling. And they can handle any event, big or small. I think they proved it. And this was a great coming out for Las Vegas. I don't know if Las Vegas really needed to come out, but maybe in this realm they did to say, hey, we're not just this gambling city in the desert, but this is the place that you want your sporting event. This is the place where big artists want to come and perform. This is a place where we're going to bring your fans, give them the best time of their life. And I sound like a Las Vegas commercial, but when it's at its best, that is what Las Vegas is doing. When it's at its worst, it isn't. But in this case, it did that. Yeah. And I think, by the way, my friend was at the U2 concert in the Sphere. Was it Friday or Saturday? It was like right before the Super Bowl because I remember he asked me about finding ho hotels and I was like, U2 is playing right before the Super Bowl? I was like, good luck, dude. I'm sorry. But uh, good luck. He said it was amazing. By the way, I think Vegas, and I've said this before, has just been so smart. I don't know if they like were started this pivot when they realized that online gambling was coming down the road, but the reality is you do not need to go to Las Vegas to gamble anymore, especially on sports or mostly on sports, but you know, other things as well. And this rebranding happened at like the perfect time because of course people are still going to gamble in Las Vegas, but now that it's a premier destination, you know, I, I just, I just think, I guess it's not like above Los Angeles yet because Los Angeles still has Hollywood and things like that. But in terms of American cities that people from foreign countries are going to think about visiting, you know, Las Vegas is really putting itself out there, you know, so you got New York, you got LA, you got Las Vegas, like it or not, rest of the country, uh, you know, I live in Boston, right? So, but like when people from overseas are thinking about traveling the United States, like these are the destinations that are going to come to their mind just due to the way, you know, I guess, I guess now I understand why cities do ads about themselves because it, it makes a difference. But there's also a big push for there to be other culture here outside of the casinos and, you know, museums. I know Miriam, Ald I know the Adelson family is doing a huge art museum that's going to be world-class. They say one of the best in the country. Tom Brady just announced this past weekend his partnership for a museum at the Fountain Blue, which is going to include all of his Super Bowl rings. He called it the Smithsonian of sports memorabilia. So there is a lot of this stuff happening. But yeah, Las Vegas delivered and it just made it seem seamless, which was really nice to see. And I was excited for it and I can't wait for it to come back probably every four years. It's definitely in the rotation and it's in the NFL's best interest to do that. But if you're somebody who hasn't come to Las Vegas recently, you know, you do have all that crazy stuff that you had before. That that element is still there, but there is a lot more to do. And I think you're seeing more and more of that with record ticket prices. One last thing on YouTube, Joe, it was crazy on Friday night because there was this thing where you had a lot of people in town, but a lot of people were at corporate events. Like I said, on Friday night, right before showtime, tickets at U2 at the Sphere dropped to under $40 on like StubHub and everything. So there was no demand Friday. Now, Saturday, they held it about... 130 140 which was below face value for sure but literally if you tried to get a ticket 
20, 30 minutes before the show up until showtime on Friday night, you could get a ticket for 30 to $40 for you two at the Sphere. Oh, man. I, you should have gone. <laughs> I guess, yeah, it was... I, I guess you didn't know, like, and you probably had plans with Mark or something like that. But even one thirty, I mean, the sphere looks amazing. I don't know what's going to happen when pixels start going out in that thing. But, yeah, I, I feel like that does seem like a really fun concert venue to be in. I was going to ask you about the resale market for YouTube tickets, but I guess you answered already to try to tangentially connect things to miles and points and stuff like that. But that's so funny. 30 or $40. It's like a Jets game, the U2 concert. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was a deal and a half. I don't know if I talked much on here about my experience at U2. I really did love the venue. I recommend anybody going there. I went with Benji and I spent $140. That was the face value for our tickets. Those were the cheapest Oh, wait, tickets. at the Sphere? I, yeah. I didn't know this. Oh, okay. So you did go to yeah. the Sphere. Cool. Yeah. So this was a couple weeks ago. So I sat in section 409. So the 400 levels, you get the, probably the best view of the screen on the inside, but you're more disconnected from the band. You know, you're hundreds of feet above the stage. It's a very steep venue. I really loved it. I thought it was incredible. Worth the money. Did not love U2. Did not love Bono's voice. His singing wasn't great, in my opinion. I'm not a huge U2 fan. And they played, you know, Octung Baby. That's their album that they're sort of basing the show on. And there's not a lot of hit songs off that album. So there were some times where they played other hit songs. For me, the concert was like a C, and I could see U2 fans thinking it was an A+, and I'm very happy for any U2 fans not trying to crap on that. But even all that said, I think just going in and seeing a concert there, totally worth it. It's unlike anything I ever saw. And even not loving Bono's vocals, I left there wanting to go back for the next thing. Funny enough, I was trying to get Dead End Company tickets. That's the next residency, or there's Fish is coming, and then there's Dead End Company, which if people don't know, that's a spinoff of The Grateful Dead. Two original band members, plus John Mayer is the lead singer, and then they have a couple other members. And I got one ticket because I was trying to get something to resell or maybe take Jasmine, and the only thing I could get was one ticket, so I was going to resell it, but I don't know. Maybe I'll just keep it for myself and go see it. But yeah, anybody should go see that venue. Whatever you can see inside, go do it. It is not like anything you've ever seen before. I can definitely say that. Awesome. Sounds good. I didn't realize you two. I thought, yeah, I, so they're, it's like a, it's like Usher. They're just like a standing concert there or whatever. U2 is announced as a residency and they added more shows. So altogether they announced 40 shows in the end. I think they originally announced less than 20 and then they added some. Unfortunately for people who haven't gotten, they have said that, I believe they're scheduled through the end of March and those will be their last shows. That doesn't mean that they can't come up with another contract down the line. But as far as this U2 at the sphere, it will end in March. And then we really don't know beyond that. So I wouldn't expect them to come back anytime soon, but you know, I mean, money is money, right? So if they feel like they can sell more concerts, who knows, they could always bring the show back. They already have all the visuals and everything done for it. But as far as that goes, they're there. And then fish has only committed to four shows and then Dead End Company has a handful of shows. Still a lot of empty space on the calendar for the Sphere. Still a lot of debt. So the building itself faces up upwinds. And for people who are familiar with James Dolan and, you know, the the Knicks and the Rangers and his whole thing, there's a lot of controversy. They split the Sphere off of that company, Madison Square Garden Entertainment or whatever, so that they could you know, basically took all their debt-ridden assets, including the Sphere, and put it in its own company. A lot of people think it'll be bankruptcy. So, you know, an interesting future ahead. But there, like I said, nothing like it from the sound perspective, from the video perspective. It will take your breath away. I mean, you're basically looking at a 400-foot-tall screen. Sounds amazing. All right. I know a lot of people have already turned this podcast off. So last thing on the Super Bowl, 
Well, I guess we'll talk about this and then we'll move on. I just want to point out that Nicole Hardman caught the same number of passes for the Jets as he did game-winning Super Bowl touchdowns. One. Okay? So, ex-Jet, now good. Always. When you're on the Jets, you're crap. When you're on when you're on a good team like the Chiefs, you're the Super Bowl, you're Super Bowl winning catch. And apparently he was mad because there were rumors spreading that he didn't know that overtime ended when he scored the touchdown and Mahomes had to tell him. And then he went on X and like basically said that was fake news, that he knew everything all along. So he's getting the spotlight. That's good. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to... Uh, like I said, I feel bad for Shanahan now, but multiple 49ers said after the game they didn't know the overtime rules. And a lot of people didn't, even though credit to... Tony Romo, I know not everyone, he's not everyone's favorite analyst. Shout out Greg Olson. But like Romo did a really good job explaining those overtime rules. There were a few 49ers who said they didn't actually totally get the rules. I will say every Chiefs interview I saw, they're like, oh, they went over this with us this week. We knew exactly what was going to happen. So I believe McColl about that. And the other crazy thing, Sean, okay, I guess I had two things. Did you know that Oz the Mentalist went to the Jets. I don't know if you've seen this yet. And so McCall Hardman was on the Jets at the beginning of the year. Oz the Mentalist is one of those guys who like makes predictions and like you pick a card and he just guesses what it is and stuff. He never touches the cards or anything like that. Anyway, McCall Hardman predicted that the Jets would win the Super Bowl over the 49ers with Oz the Mentalist. And obviously the Jets didn't win it, but McCall did. So <laughs> pretty crazy. Okay. Okay, there's a stretch there, Joe. I think we need to, no, to move on from it was from all sports. over. It was all over social media. Got the score wrong, though. Okay, yeah, move on, move on. All right, all right. So I do need an update on my spring break trip to Paris because I was so positive on the last show, and then everything went to hell as far as my Paris hotel situation. And I do want to use this opportunity to talk about things. So sometimes in this game, in this hobby, you're trying to push the rules, and you're trying to get things that aren't you're not entitled to right like uh, we learn the ins and outs of things and oftentimes you do and in those circumstances it's important to be grateful for that but it can also be frustrating when you're not getting things and let's talk about my vendome situation because i want to be very clear about this was frustrating to me even maybe a little bit upsetting but not anything that i under but i understand that i'm not entitled to this so therefore i can only be so upset and i don't think that they did me wrong in any way so I talked about how I was trying to get the room at the Vendome because the base room is only two people and I have three people and I just need the one level up above that for them to just, hey, we're going to make sure we get you one level above the base room as a globalist when you check in so that we can put the third person on the reservation. The hotel was unwilling to do that. So they have tons of, they have just about every category room for sale. They say they're having a big weekend. They were unable to do that. I reached out to my concierge to ask for that. And my concierge basically pushed back on me and said, well, you're trying to subvert the rules. You shouldn't have been able to book the room anyway because you only put two people. And I really didn't like that response. So A, I think the hotel's within their rights to do this and they don't owe me anything. I will check back with them about a week out and see if they can maybe guarantee the upgrade because I have a 48-hour cancellation window and then I'll book something else as a backup. But B, I did not like being told by my concierge that I was breaking the rules and that, you know, she shouldn't have done this. Because remember, she reached out to them and everything ahead. Of, so she was willing to play along with me. And then at the end, you know, she she did that. I didn't complain or anything like that. I hear from people all the time how their high concierges go above and beyond. 
And I'm going to kind of steer the conversation in that direction. Again, I was frustrated with this situation, but I recognize that they didn't owe me anything. So what is there really to complain about? That's just something I have to get over. But what's interesting to me is when I was in Chicago talking to Hyatt along with other people who have been globalists a long time, right? There was other people like Frequent Myler, and I don't want to – he didn't say anything, so I'm just mentioning him. But there were people in this room who were talking about their, their concierges as if they were the worst thing ever. And I've talked to a lot of people, and people have terrible concierges who don't help them out at all. Mine's sort of middle of the road. If I ask her for something, she will attempt to try it. But never anything over and above or, you know, getting me anything. Again, this was a a trip on my birthday for one night. And she didn't make any effort to try to go beyond they said no and then that was it, right? And then I hear of people with their concierges who just do amazing things for them. And it's hard, right? When you know people who have these amazing concierges, they're getting this outsized benefit well above what they're deserved. And you're not getting anything above what you deserved. But then... I guess at the end of the day, Joe, I don't deserve anything more than the terms say. So like, it's like this weird thing where, yes, I'm frustrated. No, I don't have anything to really complain about. And yes, I wish I had a better concierge. Yeah, I mean, things can be two things. And so like you could have been well in your within your rights to try and the hotel is well within their rights to deny you. I think it's I don't know. It's just. Like when you're concierge and like theoretically, I I know this is going to feel a little like, do you know who I am? But like part of your job is the customer service. You don't like it's not necessary to make the guests feel like they were wrong or like that. They were, you know, it's it's like it's kind of like guilt tripping you. That's unnecessary. So I totally get that. I've said this before. I will say it again. My biggest successes, although I guess your request was a little bit more involved but you know what i have done is i just call the concierge line and i just talk to whoever's there and usually when i'm talking to someone like i have talked to them and we can use this to transition to my taiwan plans although like i'm so afraid that after after being burned by icon i'm like should i talk about these because you know what if we don't go but when i called the when i called the concierge line like they, while I was on the phone with them, called Taiwan to like ask them about something. So, you know, for all of you who are globalists out there, worst status out there, hashtag sarcasm, but calling the concierge line has worked the best for me. And the other thing that works for me is like getting stuff set up with the concierge and then contacting the hotel directly to try to, you know, so to talk about it, I think I talked about this already. But we're going to stay at Grand Hyatt Taipei. Wanted to guarantee connecting rooms. There's only one room type that does that. I did one booking on points, one booking guest of honor. And then, you know, I contacted the hotel directly to, oh, and I did that all over the phone with the concierge. That's when they called, they called Taiwan to find out which room types connected. And so I had all that information. And then I emailed the hotel and that worked out for me. So yeah, anyway, that's frustrating. Hopefully it works out. And of course, if you could guarantee the suite upgrade, if you know the suite's there and you can guarantee that, then you should be okay, right? Yeah, and I don't even need a suite, right? I just need the deluxe room, which is the one category above the base room, which I would be entitled to anyway. I even offered to do a suite upgrade. I think what the frustrating thing for me was, and people know on this show, I often just email the hotels directly. I go to LinkedIn. I find out who the general manager is. I email them directly, and that's generally been my strategy, and I don't know why I didn't do it here. I thought maybe my concierge could help me out because I know this is a more difficult hotel. But the thing that was frustrating is she just emailed the public email address that I could have emailed. 
So she's just getting a reservations person on the other end who's saying that. And I, and this is when she kind of schooled me is when I pushed back and I said, can you actually talk to a manager over there and ask them? And she said, the only email I have is this public email and you weren't supposed to be able to book this room anyway. And I was like, yeah, that's not the response I wanted. So I'm a little upset with her, but I'm not upset with the hotel because they're just following the rules. And they did say that I could potentially check back later. So like I said, I will just deal with the hotel directly, but I'll wait till it's a little bit closer, but I'm still in my cancellation window. And then hopefully they'll be able to map it out a little bit better and sort of pivot there. So yeah, like I said, just not happy with the whole concierge experience reminded me I should just reach out to the hotels directly. And she didn't do anything more than I could have done. And like, I don't know that that was really what my concierge should be doing. My concierge should be going to the hotel and say, look, this is a good customer. You know, he's been a globalist for nine years in a row. He doesn't ask me things very often. It's his actual birthday for one night. Let's do this. None of that attempt was made. And I guess that's more of my critique is on the concierge herself. I have had other issues with this concierge and never once publicly talked about it. And just in hearing these stories, not just about mine, but other people's concierges, and I do know other people who have the same concierge, it's just this program is weird, you know, that it just doesn't deliver for many members. And then for others, they're getting great things. And I don't know whether to be jealous or just to, I just wish that there would be a base level. So I think if you ask a concierge for something specifically and you're not somebody who's asking them every week for something, that they should do that, right, that they should attempt to not just email the same public email address for reservations that you could, but to actually contact the property and make an attempt on your behalf. That's what a concierge should do. And I made, I didn't even know I was going to go on this rant when we started this, but yeah, that's how I, mean, I feel. But, but it's weird. Yeah. Because you advertise it as a benefit and it's supposed to be a, like it, it would almost be better to not advertise the concierge as a benefit. And then, like I said, I have luck calling the concierge line Right. And, you know, I mean, I think four data points isn't enough, but three or four times I've done it. Right. So they can just advertise like the phone line as the benefit or whatever. So, yeah, it's a little bit weird. Now, you said that your Disneyland Paris is in jeopardy, too. I, this is not by the way, this is not fake. This is not fake setting Sean up. Like all I know is in the notes he put Vendome and Disney Paris fails. So what's going on with that? So I talked about how we were going to stay on property and I was negotiating with a friend for his DVC points. All good. So, and this is something people should know. There is a resale market for DVC points, right? Where you can buy or rent points from somebody and they can book a reservation for you. This often can be cheaper at Walt Disney World for hotels and stuff. And this is a, a strategy a lot of people use. There's brokers that do this. But I just had a friend who had some expiring DVC points. So this wasn't one of those crazy situations. And he offered to book this for me. And then I told him I would give him some other points instead. So it was a great deal. But DVC points are for Disney Vacation Club properties. And you can also use them for Disney hotels, but there's a conversion process where you convert them to another kind of points. And he went to call to go do this for my Paris stay. And they said that you can't do it within four months of the points expiring and his points are going to expire in March. So that's why this worked out so well. So they have this dumb rule where you can't convert them to the resort points or whatever and book them. And I don't know what happened. So he couldn't book it. And so now I'm, I might still book it with cash or use points like a traveler racer card or something. The cash rates aren't crazy for those nights. So I haven't decided whether I'm going to do that or we've often stayed at the mall. That's maybe half a mile away and stayed at hotels there. And I've done that a few times. So we'll figure it out. But 
my dreams were dashed. So my perfect Vendome and then Disneyland Paris on property. Right now I'm hotelless for Paris. I would be interested if anybody wants to, you know, hit me up on Twitter or somewhere and let me know your favorite Paris hotels on points because I've really, you know, I've done Hyatt's and I've done Le Meridian once and then, you know, out by Disneyland Paris, I've done some, but I haven't been as extensive as some people out there. So maybe people can help me figure out my hotel for Paris now. Yeah, it's weird. Like these big cities, they're always, you know, New York City's like this too. That's why when I go to New York, I ask the same thing, right? There are all these options, but you kind of... You know, you only know what the ones that you've done before. So please let Sean know. And I'm sure everyone will be curious what are good options in Paris and where to stay. So moving on to Taiwan, Sean, the thing that I'm really stressed about is, you know, my hotel's all set. I'm stressed because there's a huge snowstorm coming in tomorrow, which I'm flying on Friday. So I'm flying the day after this releases. Tomorrow is Tuesday as we're recording this. Obviously, the snowstorm isn't going to affect my flight on Friday, but it just reminded me that like things can go wrong. And unfortunately I'm in the situation where thank you again to Spencer's award alert service. We talk about this every time, not sponsored, but last August is when I booked these flights to Taiwan and I got five seats in J in business class on EVA air, which is how I found out you're supposed to pronounce it. It's not Eva, which is blows my mind. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm messed up on that one too blows my mind. I still call it Eva all the time. I just did it correctly on purpose this one time. I'll probably call it Eva the rest of the rest of the episode. But five seats there and back used United Miles one way, Air Canada the other way. The only problem is my outbound flight is through Chicago and I was not able to connect that first Boston to Chicago segment on United. So I'm on a separate JetBlue segment, four hour layover in Chicago, which should be okay, but I'm just a little bit stressed out with, you know, I was thinking about the icon the other day and just, just kind of like the vibes from that. So once we make that, the, our flight home all the way is all the way back on Air Canada connecting through Toronto, but really excited. The really bummer of is when I booked it in August, that Chicago to Taipei flight was scheduled to be the Hello Kitty plane, but apparently EVA is not... Like, I don't know if they're not in service, but their Hello Kitty page says, as of right now, like, this livery is basically like it's not guaranteed anywhere. And, like, you have no idea where it's flying. But I'm um, pretty excited about all that. And I realized last week that it'll still be Chinese New Year celebrations while I'm there. So that's pretty exciting. But the crazy thing is, Sean, I told my kids, I was like, oh, shoot, you're going to be in Taiwan for Chinese New Year. You guys are going to get a lot of money. Like, this is really ex I was So I was like trying to get them excited because they probably will because people just walk around with red envelopes with money in it and you know we're going to see family i don't know like but people will have them and they'll get them and so i was really excited for them and i stopped to think for like three seconds and i was like oh crap we need to bring red envelopes like we need to be ready because yeah. <laughs> if people are giving my kids stuff i gotta be ready to give other kids stuff and then i was like oh shoot this is gonna be it's fine i'm, I'm happy to do it but it's just funny because the last time I was there was 30 years ago. I was the kid receiving the money. So this is another one of the, oh, shoot, Joe is really old now type situations. Because I was like it – was, it was like Christmas for me last time I was in Asia for Chinese New Year. But this time it's like I, I'm going to have to go to the bank and get Chris bills. You know, We have our red envelopes ready, but you know, it's, just, it's just funny to think how things change. 
So I think maybe we should explain to everybody out there. I know, you know, a little bit about the red envelopes, but I don't know, you know, I know that they're done in families and stuff, but when you're in, you know, Taiwan or you're in mainland China or wherever you are where they're celebrating Lunar or Chinese New Year, is it just people are handing them out to stranger kids? So like, is it like Halloween where everybody's handing out the envelopes to every kid that goes by? It can be, usually not as much like that anymore, but the whole concept is, well, we're not on video, but I can show you. Sean, my mom sent us, like a couple years ago, sent us these red envelopes with our surname in character on it. So that's pretty cool. Those are probably the ones we're going to use. I thought those are the Hello Kitty ones that we have. Which I, I think that would those. go good there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. But the concept is you put crisp dollars in the red envelope and you give them to people. And it's supposed to – I mean, obviously, it's a gift for the people you're giving them to, but it's also supposed to bring you – Good luck and positive fortune. Now, the the technical kind of way it works is if you have kids, then you're supposed to be giving it to the generation above you, which really only very like like I don't think we're gonna give them to my in laws' relatives. Like I I, I just I, don't, I I gotta check with them whether they'll want us to do that. I mean, we might do it out of like respect, but not you know. I don't know. I got to figure all that out. But you're supposed to give it – if you're married with kids, you're supposed to give it to kids. Every once in a while, people will just like randomly – like if you have an interaction. I joke there's a there's a Chinese grandfather who's on our street, and every once in a while, he just has like candy in his pocket, and he just gives it to my kids. And only my kids, right? Because they're Chinese. Like, <laughs> that's, never, that's awesome. I've never seen him give it to other kids, and it's like Chinese candies. And so – my, my my oldest daughter was like, oh, is it going to be like that? Is someone just going to like random? And that does happen. Like you have an interaction with someone on the street and every like sometimes. But usually it's like we're going to go to a couple like big dinners and stuff like that. I don't know what kids are going to show up there. And so I'm going to have Chinese red envelopes ready to go for them. So I mean, I mean, it's exciting. I, and, you know, I'm not really complaining. It's only usually it's only like a few bucks. I remember I, I did get some large bills from random relatives back when I lived in Hong Kong, but that was a long time ago and I'm not going to be that relative because I don't even know you kids. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask. What's typical, I guess here in the U S I would ask you what would be typical to put in an envelope and then what would you expect over there? Yeah. So number one, the bill has to be crisp. Otherwise don't even bother. So you have to go to the bank. That's probably like the, I, it'll be interesting, Sean. Actually, I'm like, am I going to go to the bank and just like, use my Bank of America card or my Fidelity card? Like, what am I going to do here? I don't even know. Yeah, it worked just like you go to the ATM, right? I'm yeah, sure they yeah. can do it at the teller too. Yeah, so so, but if, like, the, the thing to do in the U.S. is actually because the number two isn't that significant, but a lot of times they do it, like, a $2 bill is kind of, like, perfect for doing it in the U.S. Or you can do two, like, $1 bills, or you could do a 10. You just want to avoid multiples of four, because that sounds like the word for death in Chinese. So you're going to avoid that. But I think if we did it here and it was like families we were close to, I'd probably throw a 20 in there. If we were in America, which we don't do this in America, but if we were in America and we were in like a town where like everyone kind of did it, it would probably be like one or two dollars per thing. But it, it, it ranges. And some of the older people, I mean, they, you know, like they, you know, people enjoy giving gifts. Like some, for some people, this is it for them, plus the whole bring you good luck thing. And so, you know, the belief is to give more and get more good luck. So it's kind of one of those 
you give it out to the world and you expect it to come back to you multiple fold. Maybe I'm just in a bubble, but I feel like Lunar New Year or Chinese New Year, I don't know. People call it different things. I just usually call it Chinese New Year. But it feels like it's celebrated more now here in the U.S. Or maybe it's just because I'm in Las Vegas and we have huge celebrations every year because there's tons of Chinese tourists that come in. You know, the Chinese culture is very embedded in some of the casinos. And then we also have a large population here. So, you know, we're kind of surrounded by it all the time. So maybe I'm in that bubble. But it does feel like I don't remember when I was younger hearing about it as much. And now, you know, I think in L.A. they used to have the one parade every year where you would see the dragon head. But now, like, I just see events everywhere. And it's kind of cool. Yeah, I agree. I was talking about this with my friend actually just before we got on, Sean, because I think it's interesting. I get the feeling that all immigrant cultures in this country, which is one of the things that makes this country great, is, like, experience similar life cycles. And I was talking to him, and I was like, I think when, like, our parents came over, they were first generation, and they were so afraid, and it was a different time then too. Funny story. My wife said she thought this kid was being bullied in her class. And then she realized that the kid was being bullied because they made fun of someone for not being able to speak English. So it is just like, it is a different society than it was when we were in the nineties, right? That story aside, I think when our parents came over, it was like, like, I don't want you to stand out. I don't want you to like get embarrassed. Like my parents started specifically when I went to kindergarten, stopped speaking to me in Chinese because they were afraid that it would cause me trouble. And so that first generation, you know, in some ways, like almost denied the culture a little bit. At least I, I guess I can only speak for Chinese Americans because thinking about some of my students, it's not necessarily the same experience that they have. But then the second generation, like us, we're like, oh, shoot, we're losing touch with our culture. And so we're trying, like I sent my kids to Chinese school. I tried to speak Chinese to them for a while. We do Chinese New Year celebrations every year. And so like, we're trying to like hold on to that part, which ironically our parents were like trying to downplay when they first came over here. But now we're the generation, like a lot of the second generation people are the people who are millennials, Gen Xers, right? We're, we're the ones spending money on things. And so of course, the U.S. is going to catch on to that, and then Lunar New Year is going to become a bigger thing. Chinese New Year is going to be a bigger thing because, you know, we want to celebrate that, and we want to stay in touch. So, I mean, I think it's a good thing overall, and it's cool. Like, it's there's not very many Asian students in my school, but student government, like, they had a nice Lunar Lunar slash Chinese New Year celebration last Friday. It was pretty cool. They hid red envelopes all over the school for people to find, and they were giving out candy and red envelopes for people, and they had signs. So it was pretty awesome, and it's good to see everyone, like, getting to appreciate other cultures more. Yeah, and it's a fun holiday too, so that doesn't hurt. But yeah, you're right. I mean, I, my ancestors, when they came to the US, my Jewish ancestors, they had to sort of assimilate, right? Post-Holocaust, everybody was sort of assimilating into culture and they just sort of became mainstream and normal. And what's really interesting is the vast majority of Jews I know today are not religiously Jewish, but we maintain the culture. And I know that's a confusing thing for people to understand, like, is it a race? Is it, a, is it a religion? What is it? But, you know, the truth is for most Jews, their bloodline goes back all the way to ancient times on the mother's side. So my mother, her mother before that. And so we are a race of people with a culture and traditions and then also a religion. And it's, it's very interesting, but it's really cool to see, you know, the opposite, right? Not having to hide your your 
culture and you know i'm married to somebody who's mexican and that's really interesting too because mexican american culture is its own thing right it's not quite mexican culture and this is according to my wife so i will quote her on this and so i'm not a white man speaking to this but just fascinating and it's a great we're all better when we celebrate each other's things right who wants our own boring holidays when we can you know expose ourselves to the traditions and understand them and just understand that we're all humans on some level and we do things differently but we all like to have fun and we all like to, to celebrate each other. And that's really what opening cultures is. And I love it. I love Chinese New Year. I love the fact that Las Vegas basically transforms. I mean, there are so many things on the strip about Lunar or Chinese New Year. And that's cool. And that was a little side tangent. Joe, we have to cover some credit card stuff real quick. We'll have to end Do we, with Sean, this. I'm having so yes. much fun. Yes. I'm having so much fun. I pop, we apologize. I don't. I don't know what. I don't know what Sean and I have been on lately, but hopefully some of you are enjoying it. But yeah, let's get to the credit card stuff. So there's a bunch of stories this week, so we're going to do some quick hits on this, and there will be links to an article on MilesToMemories.com for everything we talk about. American Express is rolling out new bonus restrictions for the green card. This is the same thing we saw them do with the platinum and many other cards. Basically, they're putting this new family language in, saying you're not eligible for a welcome offer if you've had this card. They're also lumping it in with the platinum cards and the gold cards. So, yeah, we're seeing more and more of this from American Express. Not a surprise. I don't know. I don't have anything else to say about it. I don't think it's the end of the world, but I'm not surprised. We'll see this with every card, in my opinion. Yeah, I actually don't understand. Like, the only thing I'm surprised about is why is there this slow rollout? Like, why haven't they applied? Not that I want them to apply everything at once, but that's, like, kind of the only thing that confuses me about the whole entire situation. Like, I feel like we've seen the writing on the wall we still also have seen no limit, no lifetime limit offer like links floating around. So I don't like it. The world has definitely not ended. There is still hay to be made with American Express, but I think officially, publicly, they're just locking them down one by one. And the only thing I don't really get is why they haven't done it all at once. You know, just making it complicated for us. So we have to like know the list at any given time. Yeah, so let's talk about the no lifetime language. There were Amex Delta offers for their increased offers for their cards through the DeltaAmex.card link. So this is the official site. We're not talking about circumventing anything, but you can go to this site, DeltaAmexCard.com, put your SkyMiles number in, your last name, and many people are getting offers that don't have the lifetime language. So if you had a Delta Amex card and you're not eligible for the public offer, this is, again, a targeted website from American Express and Delta, so this is not some sneaky way to do it. You may be able to get no lifetime language offers. A lot of people are getting those, so check that out as well. Yeah, the next story was that JetBlue has an increased offer on their JetBlue Plus card. Obviously, I'm a big fan. I think DDG even like linked to something with me about it in the article, so thanks, buddy. But uh, yeah, 70K after 1,000 in spend in three months, that's actually better in multiple ways because normally it was like 50 or 60k for 3000 in spend and now that it's 70k for 1000 spend you do have to pay the annual fee up front but anyone looking to get a jet blue card now's the time to do it one interesting tidbit is like you just enter any five numbers for the promo code and it works and so, you know, go ahead and click the link on the article there if you're interested in getting that card. I think historically the highest ever on that card was 100K, but like you said, much higher spend. And, and the, the normal was like very short amount of time. And yeah. then I think 80 was kind of like the highest. So, but 70 for 1,000, yeah, lower spend is good. Yeah, exactly. Better offer, lower spend, good stuff on that. 
How about this? The U.S. Bank Business Altitude Power Card. This is the new card from U.S. Bank, a new business card. Notable because it does have a 75,000-point bonus or basically $750. It comes with a $195 annual fee. I really don't quite get the market for this card. I mean, I guess some people might like the nice welcome offer. It earns 2x on all purchases and then 2.5x on mobile wallet purchases up to $5,000. So not as good as, what is it? The Altitude Reserve gets 3x, right? On mobile wallet purchases without a cap. Yeah, no cap. So yeah, that's interesting. And I don't mean no cap in the cool kid sense. That means no lie. You also get 6x on hotel and car rentals, no foreign transaction fees. I don't, again, this is a 2% back card where you get 2.5x on a limited amount, a mobile wallet. You're paying 109. I don't get, I don't get the card, but it has a nice signup bonus. You do have to make 10K spend for that $750 bonus. Not one I'm going to jump on, probably. Yeah, these weird, like, I find the medium annual fee cards to be the weirdest. And it's just, I don't know if it's like almost like a, gateway to people paying higher annual fees for something better or something like that. But it's always been weird to me. These, you know, I guess if it's a loyalty, like for a Delta, what color is that? I don't even know. Oh no, I don't even think they have that anymore. But you know, if it's like a medium thing, maybe, but these is $195. It's just, it's just weird. So yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think this is anyway. I never, I, I had so much trouble redeeming my altitude reserve points. I finally canceled that card that I'm not, I'm not touching that anymore anyway, but yeah, it's just a interestingly bizarre card. Agreed. Agreed. I don't know. Like they went into a meeting and they came out with this card. I don't get it, but that's us bank. And that's why we love them. Final story, credit card related chase and Southwest have come out with their companion pass offer again. I think they did this very similar time last year, but all of the chase Southwest cards have an offer where you can earn a companion pass good through the end of February, 2025. So a little bit over a year, plus 30,000 rapid rewards points after you spend 4K in purchases. So basically what you're doing is giving up some of the signup bonus in the form of points in order to get a year of the companion pass. The public signup offers usually, what, 50K? But I think we've seen up to 100K for signing up for some of these cards. So, you know, you're giving up anywhere between 20 to 70,000 up front in order to buy a companion pass. It really just depends on how often you're gonna use it. This can be both an incredible deal and a bad deal if you don't end up using the companion pass. Yeah, I think, you know, I love, well, I respect the game when Chase does this with their Southwest cards. I don't know if I necessarily love it. I'm not like pro big bank or anything like that. But I think this is like the perfect way to try to get people in the door, get them hooked on the companion pass so that they try to earn it organically in the future, I know that it has happened to a lot of people. I mean, I know that's how JetBlue suckered me in. In some senses, that's how Hyatt has suckered us in to Globalist, right? At the same time, from the consumer side, there's a lot of value to be had. You know, if you know you're going to be doing – like we're doing a lot of domestic trips this year. And if if we knew that Southwest flew to those places, uh, obviously we'd need – we'd probably have to both get it and both get the companion pass and we still have to pay for one kid. But – you know, there's a lot of value to be had there. So if it works with your schedule, of course, as always, like we said, when this came out last year, because it expires in February, 2025, and especially if you're not sure you're going to try to renew that status or whatever, or renew the companion pass or whatever, you want to kind of jump on this as fast as possible. So you can start using that companion pass for, you know, forget summer travel, like try to get it in spring break or April, May travel. I love this offer and I will tell you why it is for the person who doesn't want to go through all of the the strife of earning the companion pass the hard way, 
figuring out how to cobble together points, you know, going through portals, getting different credit card offers to get the amount of points you need to earn the companion pass. Now, the benefit of doing it the hard way is that you get two years or up to two years, I guess. You get it for the rest of the year you earn it plus the whole next year. So you could potentially get it for up to two years. But this is just the easy way, right? I mean, this is just give you the companion pass, let you have it. Maybe you don't care as much about the points and you just want that easy way to do it. The problem for, I think, most people is it's subject to 524, like all of Chase's cards. So, you know, this, I think, is great for people who are newer to the hobby. Some people would say don't burn a 524 slot on this. If you have a family and you know you're going to use this and, I mean, you don't have to go through all the hassle. You just sign up, you get it. I mean, I say do it, but, you know, so I think it's both great and not so great depending on who you are. But I think it's hard to argue with a year of a free second person if you really are going to make use of that without having to do anything but just meet a minimum spend on a credit card. To me, that's a great offer. Well said. Well said. And I think that's it. So all of those credit card articles, all of those credit card stories, we have articles relating to each one of them. So you guys can learn more about that. And that's going to do it for this week's show. Joe, where can people find you when they're not listening to this fine podcast? You can find me at As Joe Flies, all of our social media. I will be trying to, if we make it to Taiwan, I will be, try to be posting some stories on Instagram there. Disney Podcast, Disney Decipher, Joseph Chung at TravelMation.net if you're looking to book any trips. How about you, Sean? At Miles to Memories, all over social media. We have our Vegas stuff, youtube.com forward slash Miles to Memories. We're doing our twice weekly Vegas news show, plus all the happenings there if you want to learn more about that. Like I said, we'll have a special Super Bowl weekend recap bonus show in the next week or two over there. Everything we do, posts, podcasts, videos, Miles to Memories.com. One last shout out if you're on Apple or Spotify and like the show, please consider leaving a five star review. It helps us out a lot. Thanks everybody for listening. Talk to you next time. See ya.